coming to get you, Barbara. The funeral ceremony is today. We found a lot of suspicious things out in that cemetery. I've been dead for seven years. I'm Kevin. And I'm Caleb. We love movies. And talking about them. This is the Martini Window. Today with us, we have Jay Turner with such credits as being the ALM for Kung Fu Season 3 and the show Surface on Apple TV, as well as being an all-around locations rock star. Welcome, Jay. Oh, well, thank you for having me today. Anything going on to chat about? I mean, it is spooky season here it in is. the Lower Mainland. You know, pumpkin spice lattes came out in August, so, you oh, know. Oh, I'm going to go broke. <laughs> Just, <laughs> right? Those uh, those PSLs, gotta love them. I am such a basic bitch when it comes to pumpkin spice lattes. I can go broke in the holiday season, the fall season for that. I do I enjoy mean, them. For us film people like who love horror movies, right. why not? Like this right? is the time. It's all about the the blood and guts and pumpkins and slashers and yeah, yeah. And not so much candy when you get past a certain age, but still all the other stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We just replace candy with alcohol. So now, speaking of slashing things, the movie you picked today was Reaper: The Genetic Opera, and I am so happy for that. It is honest. It's honest. It's honestly one of my favorite movies. I love how theatrical it is. Yeah, I love it too. Despite all the crazy plot holes that don't really exist within it, who doesn't love a rock opera? Right? We all grew up watching things like Rocky Horror Picture Show, and like this movie is kind of an attest to that in a way. At least that's how they talk about it when. They do Q&As and things like that with uh, Terrence, who's one of the writers right? and also stars as the grave robber. That's what he talks about, how they grew up loving rock operas. And And uh, yeah, it started not even as a movie. Yes, I believe it was Darren Smith who co-wrote it with Terrence had a friend who was going through bankruptcy. And then they came up with the idea of uh, what if people could repossess your organs as well? Yeah. And... I believe it was also called uh, the Necromerchant's Debt. It was yeah, and I think it was like a ten-minute two-man stage play. Was only ten minutes. Yeah, I've been diving down the wormhole as because I I know prepared uh, for this. I know Daryl and Boseman did a ten-minute short film to present the film as a movie adaptation. In that ten-minute short film, he actually had uh, Michael Rooker, who for a lot of people would know from Walking Dead, Henry Portrait of a Killer, or if we're being 100% honest, most people nowadays probably think of Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, he was playing the repo man in the short film. And uh, the wonderful Shawnee Smith from the Saw franchise, who previously worked with Daryl and Bozeman on Saw 2 and 3, went on to uh, play Amber Sweet in the short film. <clears throat> I actually feel like she probably would have played Amber in the feature had the producers not brought Paris Hilton to the fold, which my understanding is uh, Daryl and Bozeman was initially against. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Paris Hilton, <laughs> before that, before she did Repo, she the only thing we know her as doing is, like, dying in House of Wax. I, 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 I see I, you guys I, have I, never uh, experienced the masterpiece that was The Simple Life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I personally 
actively avoid reality television. Yeah, yeah. Regularly. I like living in that uh, no, crazy, weird, high fantasy world. That's where yeah. I like to live. Um, I mean, the simple life was all acting, too. It was. That's, in fact, uh, she is know, not actually that stupid. Did you oh, know no. that the daughter and the family in that? Um, so, the, you know, the family they were staying with in the, in the first season. Oh, yeah, it's season. Kesha. That was fucking Kesha. Yeah, that was yeah. Kesha. Yeah. It's so crazy to look back on that now and see her because uh, you realize just how distinctive a face she has, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, crazy, yeah. But we're not here to talk about Kesha. No, we're not. <laughs> or really Paris Hilton, although well, we did get to- here to talk about Paris Hilton. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm... She was a great supporter of this movie. Apparently, they needed $50,000 for an extra day of shooting, and she did a nightclub appearance back when, you know, like, people would pay heaps of money for that and just donated all of the proceeds to Repo, the genetic opera. Which is fabulous. She really is great in this movie. She knows exactly who she's playing and just having the humor to be able to take on this role where she's literally playing a spoiled heiress addicted to surgery. I mean, it's not far off from real life, but... Yeah. I mean, it's actually kind of crazy to see when this movie came out. You consider that the original uh, musical came out in 2002 for a stage play. So going forward past that, you finally make a movie in 2008. This is a huge era of beauty standards, of model standards, of like, that was still that kind of time where, like, you know, People's Magazine, all that still very much ran the magazine for in the right sense, but like people like, uh, like, I don't know, Tiger Beat, was that a thing in the 2000s? I mean, I don't know. But what I'm saying, though, is that, like, you know, you have Paris Hilton running amok being like, you know, that's hot, that's hot. They had everyone wearing these, like, short-ass mini skirts and a lot of these, like, very high beauty standards. Things. I think South Park even did an episode about it. Oh, yeah, um, Stupid Spoiled Whore? Yeah, that's what it was, Stupid Spoiled Whore. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. and then you get into a movie like this where it's really bringing oh, out that, like... Oh, she's aware of this. You know? And it's that, that emo aspect, because, I yeah. mean, it is... It is 2008. Yes. Right? So, like, we were, what, teenagers still at this point yeah. when this movie came out? I graduated and... in 09, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did as well. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's one of those Why things where you're like, like, oh. Uh, and, like, the budget on this was actually about... huge. You think like, so? You can all... million U.S. is not huge for a movie that they're but, trying to do for this. But for this type of movie where... This creative team who worked on Saw, they worked on Skinwalkers. Like, if you actually start delving into, like, who's connected within the art department on this and, like, the executive producers, they've all been working together for a long time. So this is a passion project. A lot of this is the team from Saw 2 as well, right? Yeah. And they've, like I said, done several movies before they did Saw together. Yeah, yeah. Right when you start diving down the like the rabbit hole for this, and considering that it was an eight point five million dollar budget, they barely cut even, not even. I wouldn't even say that they made twelve thousand dollars in theaters. uh, Yeah. Well, no. This like I'm looking at some stuff right now, and this says opening weekend they made like almost fifty four in the U S. and Canada, and then like worldwide. Overall, hundred eighty-eight thousand. Oh my god! Wow! So they didn't even come close. 
to now, making it. Now, one thing I want to point out, though, is what was the DVD sales on this? Because when I was I in was, film school so... in 2010, 2011, I'll tell you right now, every other person had this movie on DVD. And I'm kind of curious just how big it's become such a cult classic since 2008, too. I have to wonder how much physical media has helped bring back some of the budget for this movie. I've also seen a, um, a re-screening of it at the Rio several times, yeah. just in the same vein of Rocky Horror. It's just... Yeah, because yeah. they do it with a shadow cast as well when they yeah. do oh, it that's live. Cool. <laughs> that's so Right? Cool. They want you to be involved. And, like, there, <laughs> there are rumors that this was actually a setup for a trilogy. It was actually... And... That's not even a rumor. That was Daryl and Boseman, the director, has fully confirmed it. It was... Uh, except this was supposed to be, I kid you not, the middle of the trilogy. This I know. Repo was supposed to be part two of a three-part trilogy. Part one was going to come out after. <laughs> yeah. Which is ridiculous in itself, if you think about it. Well, where do you, like, how do you really expand on this? Because I don't feel that this world is, it, it's a really cool world to dive into, but it's not exactly the sort of world that I want to peel the layers back on. You know what I mean? Yeah, it feels like a really good one-off. Yeah, Right? 100%. Like, it's a good standalone movie if you like camp and the camp factor and you like a good rock opera, if you've, you know, you know delved down that worm, like I'm going to call it again like it is, the rabbit hole of the rock opera genre and you get things like Phantom at the Paradise, like you don't even just get yeah. Rocky Horror. You get things like Shock Treatment, which are sure. equally as weird and have equally as many plot holes I, I do find it funny that you you, uh, you brought up shock treatment because that is actually the sequel to Rocky Horror I know it is <laughs> and there's people who watch that movie not knowing it's a sequel eh? <laughs> yeah they don't realize that it's supposed to be the same Janet except it's played by a different actress I know that's the weird thing is that it is like a direct sequel to Rocky Horror it's not even like a weird direct to video thing that came out 20 years later this was a theatrical movie by the, the same writer who did Rocky Horror too yeah. Right. And you're you're either going to like the genre or you're not going to like the genre and you're going to accept the movie for what it is with all of its plot holes yeah. or you're not. Because like the whole idea behind this movie is that like it's this girl who can't go outside and her you find out later that her dad's been poisoning her the whole time. And this man she doesn't know who was in love with her mother is like going to give her his entire company like it makes no sense but only if she kills her father in front of a crowd only <laughs> right but the gore factor that happens in this so like oh, how how would you explain this um i i love the gore in this because it's not realistic gore it's like you know that exactly bright red blood and one of my favorite parts of this movie is in Thankless Job, where you have Anthony Stewart Head as the Reaper Man dancing around oh, well. a room do, making airplane motions while he's cutting up a victim. And then he starts puppeteering his mouth after he's pulled his throat and everything out. It's Yeah, after he pulls amazing. out all of his intestines. And yeah, right? The, the songs that are written for this movie are great. It has... Yeah. The, the aspect of opera so like everything is sung it doesn't have to be sung in tune but no single piece of dialogue in this movie is actually just said it's all sung which is yeah. how it becomes an opera 
Well, I mean, that's also one of those situations too. You get a lot of musicals and a lot of rock operas in general that, like, I I gotta be honest with you. Like one one uh, genre of musical that I'm not particularly a fan of is jukebox musicals. You know, where okay. we're just gonna take a bunch of uh, already made songs and stitch a story around it. Oh, um, like like what was that? There was that one that Mama had a bunch Mia. of or Journey songs. Yeah, uh, Momia or uh, or a Rock of Ages was uh, there. You go. That's one. the that's yeah. the one I was thinking about. Yeah. Um. But what I will say though is that with this whole kind of genre, with this whole era, what I do like about uh, Repo the Genetic Opera, you are right. Like it's not doing the thing that certain musicals do, where we're gonna sing a song and then we're gonna talk for a little bit. We're gonna sing a song and then we're gonna talk for a little bit. No, you are right. Like like Repo also has the record for the most original songs ever written for a musical. Did you know that? Yeah, that's and- insane. And the way that they seven original songs. Well, yeah, it's got like a ninety-eight minute runtime. But I mean, we're talking. He had to write songs for that entire ninety-eight minutes. And what I'm saying is, of the sixty-seven songs or something like that, like fifteen of them didn't even end up in the movie. There's a whole bunch of cut songs and deleted scenes that are only on the DVD for this. Yeah, like the the scene of the grave robber and Paris Hilton going at it. That's a deleted scene. Wait, what? Yep. They they show m- little bits of montage from the actual scene in the movie, but it was a whole scene where basically Terrence Zundich was dry humping Paris Hilton. And wow. he talks about it every opportunity he gets uh, in Q&As. I've been watching some really interesting videos where they talk about Repo as well. And they talk about Terrence and kind of some of the the plot holes and like i said though it is full of them i absolutely love it like you can't go wrong with anthony head singing we all remember watching buffy and Which we all remember how we got cast in this eh? and we all remember the musical buffy episode it's one of the best ones did you know that that's how he got cast in this movie though once more with feeling that does not surprise me darren limboseman was a very big fan of buffy the vampire slayer no surprise there uh, yeah, and yeah. When he came to the role of when he came to the role of the Rico Man, he remembered Anthony Stewart Head singing in uh, "Once More Feeling," and he really gets to show a wide range of his acting skills. Oh yeah, in this I find, movie, I find that he does like the Jekyll and Hyde thing really well. Wow. Especially uh-huh. like you know after watching Buffy, where he goes from Giles to Ripper, this feels like kind of like putting those two characters, but almost the Ripper vicious side of him is just something he's tampering down well and and his character is so enigmatic like you you want to love the repo man even though he's bad oh yeah you want to love him even though he poisons his daughter and won't let her go I mean, I actually think this is something that Daryl Boseman um, has a tendency to do more than others. He He's always had this level of kind of throwback to a lot of 80s horror in his work, I found. And you can even see it in movies like Spiral, his last Saw movie he did, which I was personally a big yeah. fan of. Personally, I loved it, um, even though it was a big shift in tone. But Daryl Boseman, though, has a tendency to do this. Like, look at the 1980s and look at characters like uh, Freddy Krueger, Leatherface, Jason Voorhees, you know. Flasher characters you're supposed to be horrified by, like Freddy Krueger, for instance, was a, you know, he was a pedophile or potentially wrongfully accused pedophile, who knows, depending on which uh, canon you take. But yeah, with Freddy Krueger, though, he was, for all intents and purposes, a child molester who was uh, killed by the, who was killed by the townsfolk uh, and then ended up killing kids in their dreams. And guess what? 
this character was still so beloved he was on cereal boxes and shit in the 80s like yeah it's like <laughs> it's like how many halloween movies have been made with michael, right, with michael myers. myers right like, and, that, and and he doesn't talk and doesn't. there's been so many takes on it like rob zombie did his own take on it yes he did which came out around the time of this one movie of, actually hands down one of my favorite versions of halloween just because it feels so raw in comparison to the 80s movies, though I do love a good 80s slasher. The, the 80s run of Michael Myers definitely went a weird direction. I think as soon as we got into the cult of Michael Myers stuff, it's just like, oh my god. He's like a, he's a deity now to a cult and like <laughs> I mean he is the zombie king. He doesn't die, right? Well, like you know, where where do you where do you go at that point? Like you've made six movies where this guy keeps coming back to life and you even had a moment where Danielle Harris almost took over the role uh, almost took over and then they said, Nope, back to Michael Myers. <laughs> but it's, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I always just love uh, late stage sequels in eighties horror movies. Uh, I know it's a weird pivot, but I just want to point that out. But it, is... it doesn't actually sound that ridiculous to have the cult of Michael Myers. Look at how many people flock to serial killers and just basically worship them. Oh no, no! What it's... I'm saying is, this isn't like a this isn't like a cult of like uh, fanboys. This is a cult of people who genuinely are like Michael Myers is sent here from the other world and something else. Like, oh, I'm God. not kidding. In the, in the late Halloween sequels of the original run, they get weird man they do get really weird and then the resurgence uh of halloween over the last couple of years has been really great actually i mean i was actually a big fan of halloween ends yep i thought uh, that movie was pretty great i'm a big defender of that one um going back to repo though i, I yes. it's impossible well i mean it's impossible to talk about repo without talking about influences sometimes you know because Absolutely. it because it is influenced by so many other things Oh right? yeah, and like this I is was just saying, what this does well, and this whole team, because yeah. it's not just Boseman that that's from not... Saw or some of the other stuff that they've done, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Because it was like, oh, what else was it? They did some yeah. other stuff too together that wasn't Saw. And... Well, since uh, since Repo, they did both Gen- uh, Devil's Carnival movies. Yeah, which have a very similar um, poster. Right. Art. So basically, the idea with Devil's Carnival is uh, they had talked about doing the sequel and the prequel, the Repo the Genetic Opera. Enough time had gone by and not enough money had come in from the movie that they never had the opportunity to make it. So, fast forward, um, Darren Boseman and uh, Trevor at that. Uh, Zurich. Sorry? I think it's Zurich. Uh, but uh, Zurich, yeah, he um, they ended up uh, writing Devil's Carnival, another musical. Because, uh, which has the same cast, it has the same creative team, it's got the same visual aesthetic. Is it the full same cast? Uh, uh, most, of, most of it is, yeah. Um, it's a lot of the same cast, it's the same visual aesthetic, it's all that, but the thing is, they simply lost the rights to repo the genetic opera. They cannot make a sequel or prequel anymore. And so, Devil's Carnival had, and its sequel have kind of been considered the spiritual successor to repo. Gotcha. I oh, believe, I mean, uh, like, the they Devil's- even had... They even had Alexa Vega. Wow. Yeah, they did. Yeah, Spy Kids. And yeah. Ogre. Gotta love okay. a local, right? Right. And I was talking to Kayla about that. I was like, Pabby was played by Ogre from fucking Skinny Puppy. And with the yeah. industrial with the industrial influence in this movie, uh, I was talking to Kayla and she, I don't know if she heard much of Skinny Puppy. I was like, 
from my understanding, if you were in an industrial club in the late 90s, you can guarantee that you'll find at least three people with a skinny puppy tattoo. <laughs> well, I mean, he's even partied in the local scene. Um, I've, I've met him a, a couple times. He's, he's yeah. all over Vancouver. and uh, He used yeah. to frequent Pub 340 and with like Chai Peg and stuff like that because they yeah. were buddies. He, uh, same with the rickshaw at a few shows. So he would go yeah. over there for a few of them. I, I met him at a, uh, oh God, I think I was a Jello Biafra show I met him at. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jello Biafra from Dead Kennedys. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's where I met Ogre. He was just in the audience. Yeah, and like Funkies. Oh, man. Oh, oh man. Funky Winker Beans. Gotta love Funkies. Uh, you gotta love how people who are not from Vancouver who are gonna listen to this would be like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can talk about it because we're local. Totally. Which totally. is really nice. I just think but it's, it's funny because we're coming nice up with these to names s- like. It's nice watching. to see local talent. Yeah, pop it up is. in other things. Right? I agree completely. I do love his inspiration. Right. It was it's clearly like Leatherface. Yeah. But oh it, it's yeah, so, it's like so grotesque. And it's like it's like old Leatherface. Yeah, it's like you got the, the like Texas when you chainsaw. think of the when you think of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where like he is wearing somebody else's face. Actually, That's... wearing a couple faces stitched together. But you know what I mean? But that's what that makes yeah. you think of. Well, I was thinking the Kayla when I was watching this. Like, uh, the, the Texas Chainsaw reference goes even further when you consider the fact that Bill Mosley, who played Luigi, was a chop top in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah, that's true. Uh, who was often hailed as potentially the best uh, the best character in the Texas Chainsaw franchise, even above Leatherface. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no... I mean, he's over the top <laughs> in this particular movie, so... I, I haven't watched a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie in a very, very long time. When it comes to horror movies, slasher movies, Bill Mosley is like getting Bill Murray in there. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it, in the world of horror, that guy is such so, an icon. So what you're saying is that this movie really did pack a lot in that people yes. don't even realize. Even, I agree. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. They even have a cameo from Joan Jett in there. Yeah, that's Joan yeah, Jett. Yeah, and scene. I mean... And they did. I loved that they brought on a real opera singer, right? Right, because um, Sarah Brightman. I mean, that woman has awards for her voice. Yeah, yeah. and it's like even some of the cast of this, like uh, Paul Servino plays um, plays Roddy in this, uh, the dad, yeah. right? Paul Servino. Well, so I was talking to Kayla. We watched a movie a while ago, uh, a fantastic movie called The Stuff from the nineteen eighties. <laughs> it is. Uh, I, I could go into explaining it, but basically think of it as. A 1980s horror comedy where intergalactic yogurt comes to kill people on Earth. Oh my yep. God, that's amazing! Yes, it is so low budget and it is so good. It's I so love, a, I love, I love a weird movie. Yeah, it's so low budget, and they clearly put all of their money into one theme song that they keep trying to put in like most scenes it should not be in. Yeah, it's like commercial for the stuff. Play the theme song. Oh no, we're gonna get killed by the stuff. Play the theme song. There's a fight sequence. You better damn well we're gonna play that theme song. We paid for it. Like, um, but Paul Servino though, uh, who was in, who was Roddy in this, was also in the stuff, and he played a military general who uh, is just like super war hawk, super like he he's into something. The moment he finds out he can kill communists, he's like, all right, let's do this. Cool. Like he's one of those people. Like, and so seeing him as Roddy in this movie, and just starting to realize Paul Servino is kind of like his connection to these sort of lower budget horror movies over time. And I'm kind of curious how much further this goes. Cause this guy was like, uh, you know, he's an actor familiar with a lot of things like mob movies and shit, the eighties and stuff. Right. So to see, yeah, well, roles... I mean, he's, he's good fellas. Was that Paul Servino? He was in Goodfellas, Yeah. Who was he in Goodfellas? 
I feel bad saying this on air, but that's okay. Um, uh, in Goodfellas, he played something that she wasn't Paul Cicero. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, he's he he's been an actor for a very long time, and he's got a very colorful career. Yeah, no, Paul Sorvino goes all the way back to like the nineteen seventies. I mean, he passed yeah. away. He passed away uh, last year, but um, I mean, passed away after a very long, healthy career. You know, and it's actually kind of cool because he came back for Devil's Carnival and the sequel, Devil's Carnival, playing God. That's uh-huh. amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 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 Um, one thing that I thought was pretty fascinating, this entire movie was shot on a single soundstage. What? The entire thing was shot in, on a single soundstage. Yeah. It was filmed all here in Canada. That's fantastic. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, when you start, it, when you now realize that, though, you start seeing some of the scenes, you realize that it's kind of very, like, not minimalist, but you can tell, like, when they're doing the whole, like, uh, you know, she's got to get the company to me, brother, like, that whole thing, that whole bit there. Uh, if you actually look at the scene, you could kind of tell, okay, we're just going to make this look like a warehouse, throw some shelves in there, call it a day kind of thing, right? I like, mean, we we do stuff like that all the time at work. All the time. And then I also right? notice the camera only faces one direction because they probably didn't have a set built the other direction. <laughs> that or they only they only had one camera that day. That's also very possible. Right? Because because if you remember, as we've already said, it was only an eight point five million dollar budget movie. Yeah. This is so true. So it would make sense that they would film it on one sound stage, that they would utilize the space as much yeah. as they could. As somebody that works within the locations department myself i've seen stuff like this happen where we need to shoot a hallway so we shoot the hallway in the stage instead of going somewhere else oh yeah right yeah we've done that it happens a lot it does it does so to basically base your entire movie around that concept is uh (laughs) well and a lot of it feels like one camera when you're watching it yeah it doesn't feel like you have multiple cameras set up it feels like you have one camera you do the entire setup through the whole scene and then you move your camera and you shoot your scene again from a different angle that is very much how this movie feels yeah absolutely and actually with how the movie feels you pointed out kevin that it did the thing uh, that a lot of horror movies did in the 2000s where it was just high contrast and it was very very bright glow effect on whites Yeah. yeah but it it works for this. It works for this movie, but it's just this was a very um around like 2006 to like 2011 in that era of horror 2005 to like 11. This was a very common thing with slasher movies. We're going to just blow the whites out big time. Like you probably notice that whenever you see even a picture of somebody in the movie, uh even when it's not a hologram or something like that, when you see a picture of somebody, it still kind of blows out the whites whenever you're looking at it. Very high yeah. contrast. Scream 4 was one of the last means like big movies to do this sort of look. Um uh, I think it looks good in Repo. I'm also very happy that we're out of that era of horror. <laughs> because it was yeah. just such a... You know what it was? MySpace became a thing. And people started doing those... Uh, the, you know, this uh, movie caters to those MySpace scene queens. The girls it doing absolutely the scene photos does. in the forest, with black the, and white. With, you know what I mean? With the raccoon <laughs> hair and the shoot from the way above and make the your smoky fo- like, eyes. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And yeah, I mean this the cinematographer for this, a lot of his stuff from that same time kind of has that kind of look as well. That like does very bright very contrasting colors so like reds are really red and blacks are really black and like 
I like that about this movie. I find that some stuff I, doesn't I think, have that filter on it, and it really should. I think with this particular movie, I think it definitely works. Uh, yeah. I actually, yeah. I actually found that in this movie, it really worked for me because, in you know, in the beginning, you see the contrasts uh, of, you know, basically of the skin textures. And then at the end, when there's blood everywhere, the red stands out so much against this. It's, it kind of feels like it has a narrative purpose for that. It slowly is getting more and more red. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that has a lot to do with the art department as well on this. Yeah. Because the art director, he also did Saw and Skinwalkers and Outlander, and a lot of his stuff is like that too. Yeah, yeah. That was the, right? uh, cin the cinematographer you're saying? No, the art director. The art director, okay. The art director, uh, his name is Anthony A. Ianni, mm -hmm. and he does stuff now like The Expanse and Polar yeah. and Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Like, yeah. that's his most recent credit is Resident yeah, Evil. Yeah, and you can see and from his- And it has uh... that same kind of look. Yeah. That same kind of see... feel. Like it, It's like a video game. It's like this you're inside been... of a video game. Yeah. This guy's been working, you're right. This guy's been on the Saw franchise since Saw, th since Saw 3. Like, and and though we don't talk about it, an art director has a lot to do with that look of the movie. Okay. And as I'm also much as the cinematographer. Yes, and I'm also going to point out in a movie like Saw, which, again, I yeah. don't think we can talk about Repo without bringing up what the movies have brought this year. Because if Saw never existed, the Repo would have never existed. Absolutely you know I mean? not. Darren LeBosvin built his name on Saw 2 and 3 and was able uh -huh. to get the movies they wanted out of this. So that, that movie would never happen without this one. Uh, right, oh, right down to having Shawnee Smith play Amber in the uh, in the short film for it, right? Um, Absolutely. One thing I will say, though, you were talking about the art direction with that. Like, you could really truly <laughs> see when you're the art direction <laughs> between Repo. Repo is obviously <laughs> very extravagant, right? Like, they're they it's had over a, the top. That's they, the point. Yeah, and with Repo, what I was saying to Kayla yesterday <laughs> too is, you know, you're you're not going to get a studio funding this movie. Right. No, this is this is an eight point five million dollar movie. It probably needed thirty five million or something to look the way they wanted, and they just said fuck it and they shot their shot. You know what I mean? Like, and then they, they sold care. it to Lionsgate. Then they sold it to Lionsgate. But what I love about it is like you'll see a lot of movies like this. What I was going to say with the art direction is that we saw as well. As much as uh, those movies have you know different fan base based on whatever movie you're watching, I don't think anyone can disagree that the art direction in those scenes, in uh, all those trap sequences and everything, is always so nicely gritty and grimy, and it's just like he he carries a lot of that uh, in a different way over to this movie, where everything has this kind of like sickly artificial feel to it. You know, what and I mean? this this carnival theme. Yeah, it's like a it's like a sideshow. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it does have the grit and grime when uh, in. The opening scene where the Reaper Man is chasing down that woman yeah. and she's going into the elevator. That oh, and then he rips like out her spine. Yeah, that could have been like a saw set. Well, and I like yeah. the way that they chose to bring imagination into this movie. So, like, not all of it you see. That opening sequence is a really great way to talk about that. The motion comic thing they did there was such yeah. a great way to be able to get past your budget. Yeah, and get so, the story across, and and not have to, you know, rent in a way the props that probably and... would have bogged down the timeline too. If you if we had to get you bogged down with down all that, with that uh, uh, information right from the get go through song, it actually probably would be more daunting. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and the animation aspect to it gives them the freedom to kind of do what they want yeah. with it. 
like yeah. the ripping out of the the girl's spine because you don't actually that's physically it. see that. That would be it would cost too much money to do an effect like that practically. Yeah. Yeah, and actually on that note, I'm actually a little bit surprised with how far they're able to go with a lot of the uh, with a lot of the effects within their budget. Like, um, what I was meaning earlier about this is that this is one of those movies where it, the scope of what they're trying to shoot for is so far beyond their budget, but they're not being... What I love is that they're not self-aware. They're not winking at the camera or anything like that. They are quite literally being like, nah, we are making our generation's Rocky Horror Picture Show. We are not going to be taking it as a joke. We're taking this shit seriously even though our budget is like a quarter of what it should be. You know what I mean? And I, you, you really have to admire that because that love and that admiration, that love and that dedication comes through in the film hardcore. Like you never feel like, you never feel like that there's any sort of like, uh, yeah, it's campy, but you never got the filmmakers being like, oh, the joke is that it's so campy and this and that. No, it's like the story actually takes precedence. And I, I love the camp. I love the camp in it, but also the songs in it are so catchy. I find myself singing them. And I know that we were talking about, you know, the local haunts and that in Vancouver. I remember going to Descent Sundays for about a year. And uh, at some point in the night, someone would just play Zydrate Anatomy and you would have a bunch of goth kids dancing to Zydrate Anatomy. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and some of the plots in this movie are like trying to talk about, you know, addictions and things like that, but it never really points out what the addiction is. Is the addiction the Zydra? The knife. Or is the addiction the knife? <laughs> and then like, why is somebody who has access to, you know, legal Zydrate uh, going and seeing the grave robber in the alley for illegal, like illicit well, substances? I mean, sometimes she wonders why she even bothers. At so. all at all the the uh the <laughs> oh we are so bad and so good oh, all at the same time so bad <laughs> so bad what what i got from that was that she didn't want to tell her dad about all the surgeries because he'd started cutting her off he's like do you really need it that's the vibe i got from that it's sub it's she's addicted to it and she can't really tell her dad because he stopped funding it well, the thing is, is those of us that love a movie like this are always going to find the meaning within the plot that yeah. we yeah. want out of it. Right? It's because true. like I said, this movie is great and it it's trying to tell a story, but it can't tell you exactly which story it's trying to tell you. So it's trying to tell you like four or five different stories and not all of them connect and some of them are used as a plot device like a twist when really it should be something that should be explored more within the story that's true that's but true. it doesn't matter because it's about having a good time the, this exactly. movie's fun right yeah. you don't really have to think too hard when you're watching it you get to just kind of enjoy it and it's a head bop right as Kayla oh, yeah. was saying you go somewhere like an industrial or a goth night and they're gonna play it and everybody in that vicinity knows that song and they're gonna bop and they have they can't help it they're like oh my god i love this song and that's just kind of the way it goes yeah i know people who haven't even seen the entire movie but as soon as you say zydrate comes in a little glass vial a little glass vial a little glass vial because it's probably the most prominent song in the movie that people actually remember. It's like the time warp to Rocky Horror. Like people who haven't seen Rocky Everybody Horror probably knows know the that. time warp. 
Yeah. People but the, know but this they don't, song. But they don't all know science fiction double feature. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Or Jen. Yeah. Or Demon and Janet. Yeah, exactly. But the point, <laughs> yeah, the point you're making, though, is completely clear. Like, I, I always I, knew Zytrate. I was actually talking to Kayla. The first time I saw a Rocket Horror Picture show, I was pretty young. I was 2010, and I wasn't really watching it the right, uh, 2009, I wasn't really watching it with the right group of people. So I never got the right vibe. Like, you're watching it with people who are just making fun of the movie the whole time, and they're like, you know, making fun of like, oh, it's a musical. Oh, I mean, it was 2009, 2008. I was with teenagers, right? But uh, so watching it again was actually, this time was one of my first times I got to really appreciate it for what it was. Because you're um, watching it with somebody that likes it. You're watching it with respect. You're not watching it with people who are just there to shit on it, right? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I love to commentate a movie that I've seen a million times as much as the next person. Where you're just like, oh, why are you going there? You're so dumb. Yeah. That's not the same as being like, oh, this is stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do have a thing about people where they're like, oh my god, I love watching horror movies because they're so bad, and you could talk about all the stupid things people do. It's like, great, never watching a horror movie with you. Like, it's it's that's kind of how I feel with a lot of that stuff. Like, they, these are genres that absolutely deserve the respect that they deserve, right? Like, um, well, and Repo it's, the, it's the point. Night. Yeah. Like, yeah. Repo the Genetic Opera is such a visual feast, and just like, even when you're seeing the the shots of the city and stuff like that that are obviously you know late 2000s uh cgi um but it, I, I it's such a weird situation because with this specific movie with the content with the aspects of what it's about all that is one of these weird movies that as it ages and as we get further away from that level of cgi somehow the it kind of helps us aging in this way you know what i mean yeah it really does well it's also that as you were talking about that the let's really blow out the whites yeah, that whole look. It right? feels like that an art style. Look. It is. It's it's like it's like they took the idea of the horror of Saw, put it to an operatic, and then threw in a little bit more of that like trauma movie style of horror. Because trauma this, this movies movie, are just had... absolutely gory for no reason they make no like a trauma movie doesn't really make sense like something like the toxic avenger like it makes sense Which but we're it getting doesn't. a remake of now have you heard about that oh my god <laughs> i have not i mean i know that they've made like six what did they oh, make, no, no. Like so, six so of them uh a legitimate the the uh yeah. there's been a remake in development for like god like 15 years and it's finally premiering at fantasia festival uh this month and uh the to uh toxie is being played by peter dinklage Oh my god! No, Fun yeah, he's no. playing Toxie, and uh, Elijah Wood is in the movie too. <laughs> no, funnily enough, my heart, this also my heart hurts. My heart hurts a little bit. <laughs> funnily this enough, also premiered? Uh, Repo also premiered at Fantasia Fest. Yeah, yeah, because it's a yeah. tro it's a trauma movie, though nobody talks about it like that because they call I, okay, it. Okay, so I'm actually they call glad it you like put it a, that way. They call it a horror sci-fi musical. Know. It's a what they, <laughs> which is what they call the movie, but it's a trauma movie because, like, if you think about, like, Kayla was talking about Thankless Job earlier. Yeah, you take that whole aspect. That scene isn't really that gory, even though he cuts him open and pulls his intestines out. There isn't blood everywhere, and then yeah. he sticks his hand up the inside of him and uses him as a ventriloquist puppet. That's a very trauma thing to do. It is absolutely. That's well within the trauma comedy wheelhouse, and like, I mean. You've seen, uh, I mean, the one that most people talk about with trauma, they talk about the Toxic Avenger, and then nowadays, um, obviously, some a lot of people will talk about uh, Tromeo and Juliet. 
uh, yeah. which was Troma's take on Romeo and Juliet. Uh, oh, God, man, I remember seeing that one in the video store, and I constantly wanted to rent it, and Mom would never let me. Um, but but, uh, a, Tromi, but it's tro- that same sort of aesthetic, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's and, that... a, and a, a trauma movie is supposed to be over the top mm-hmm. and not make very much sense because, like, yeah. like half the time they're filming a movie within a movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's it's that aspect. But yeah, this is absolutely a trauma film. And even yeah. like looking at that element, even in the song "Mark It Up," you were talking about before. You have a gen turn who accidentally runs into a. I believe it's a. No, it's not Pavi. It's um Luigi. He. You have a gen turn who runs into Luigi, accidentally messes his shirt up. He just stabs her, and she's on the floor bleeding while everyone is fighting over who Dad's gonna pick. Yeah. There's this girl who works for them, and no one cares. And at one point, no one Bobby cares. Just reaches in and pulls out her heart to yeah. like one up his brother because he pulled out her brain. Yeah. I mean, he spends a lot of this movie just randomly stabbing people. It's true. Let's Fine. be honest. He'll find a hole and fuck it, or if he'll make one. If there or he'll make he'll... one. <laughs> Except, right, and then you can. You just connect with these songs too, right? When it's these moments and you're like, oh, yeah, I love it. Oh, my God. Feed me more. Please spoon feed me more. And yeah. I love I love the design but, of Blind Mag's eyes. Hot. Like the just the visual of well, somebody when she... with cybernetic eyes that can project things. Yeah. Which you get to see in um, when she does the song, what is that, Morning? Chase the Morning. Yeah, when she does Chase the Morning, you get to see a little bit more of what her eyes can do, but you never really get into that whole thing. So it would have been really nice to have maybe gotten a prequel because we would have gotten some of those like plot devices that they used that they were setting up for more. Um, You would have got some more explanation on it. Although, speaking of Mags' eyes, the way that they end the movie with for her... When she's like, I don't want to work for you anymore. And then just like shoves her own long ass claws right into her eyeballs. And you watch the blood spurt out, which was great. And then they decide to kill her by dropping her on a fence. And blood goes (laughs) everywhere, which again throws back to that trauma aspect and like devices that they used in Saw. It's also on a blown out stage with like fake white snow on there. So you really see like the blood go everywhere. Just as people keep dying, it's more and more messy. Which is great. And nobody has that much blood inside them. No. Like I don't know, man. I've seen that around Elm Street. Uh, my understanding is that people have enough blood to create a giant fountain that could flood a bedroom. So, and I mean, if you're going to sit here and tell me Wes Craven was wrong about that, well, we're going to have a problem. i mean i love a good wes craven movie oh so do i so right but that's but that's the whole point of movie magic too right is is being able to take something like a a one stage one camera movie like this Uh and be able to do what they do it's what we it's what we do every day too yeah one thing I noticed was very interesting was Darren Lynn Boseman really knew how to utilize his budget in this movie. Like, there was a lot of songs where pretty much any time Paul Servino had a song, uh, Roddy, it was literally, like, it wasn't 
you know, doing any real movement. Like, well, okay, we got Roddy's got a song. Let's have have the entire thing take place in the elevator from top to down, so we can just stand there. You know what I mean? But there's a lot of these moments where Daryl and Bozeman knew how to utilize this. Okay, we got to get story going with the background of you know of the Repo Man and of his daughter and all that. And so what we'll literally do is have a song where it's like somebody's singing, and it'll just be like a single camera shot of them singing. They'll cut back to flashbacks during the song. So. I was saying, Daryl and Bozeman really knew how to do this. Like, a lot of these songs don't have more than one setup if you actually look at it. No. Oh, yeah. And I feel like a lot of the budget was used more on... The set? The the decorating of the set. Yeah. yeah. The costumes, the decoration. The costumes. The practical effects. Yeah, because they did use practical effects. Yep. And then on the animation of the city. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To kind of bring you into that world. And so that feels like... <laughs> where they spent most of the budget which is God, great think, because uh, if you look production <laughs> who knows right i mean i'm sure that and i haven't really done a lot of looking into it but i would have a feeling that terrence and darren the gentleman that wrote the original the yep. necromancers uh the necromerchant's debt and terrence who wrote all the songs for this movie probably oh, did man. all of the the soundtrack and Probably, the reworking yeah. and yeah. not necessarily volunteered their time, but took their pay from the movie at what it was and still yeah. chose to do this because this is a passion project. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And uh, I, you know, it, it makes me think of when we're looking at these things, you see like this 8.5 mil, you know, I, I read online that they had certain actors signed on who apparently left the movie when they found out what the budget was and like stuff like that. And, I don't know. They didn't. They never listed who the actors were, <clears throat> but this movie had probably some bigger actors of the era at one point, right? Before they found out what the budget was, and I think about that. I think about uh, Halloween from uh, John Carpenter of nineteen seventy eight Halloween, um, and I think about that. And there's a story about how that movie basically has all the makings of a low budget slasher because it is a low budget slasher. They made it for like five five hundred thousand or something like that, mm -hmm. right? Um, but the cinematographer Dean Cundy, uh, who would actually go on to be the DOP for, uh, he would go on to be the DOP for like Back to the Future. He would go on to be the DOP for Jurassic Park and stuff like that. His one of his first major movies was Halloween. And one thing he said to John Carpenter when they were trying to figure out what to use the lives for the budget, they had like half a mil, and he said, and he uh, pushed John Carpenter to quote unquote blow over half the budget on a uh, on an Airy uh, Airy Flex camera back in 1978 or 1977. A large amount of money. However, what it, what the result of that being is that you had this low budget slasher movie, unknown actors, mostly taking place in houses. Uh, you know, a killer with uh, a killer with a uh, regular mask. Blah blah. blah. Well, this feels they, all really but, reminiscent of somebody else's independent say, movie say, that we did. A, a certain movie like I advertise on the show literally every episode <laughs> that I directed. Um, oh, you found was, your segue, Kevin. But what oh I was going to say, goodness. though, is that Dean Cundy, Dean Cundy talked about uh, blowing the money on this camera. And the result being is that you have this film from 1978 that has aged, visually has aged better than any slasher movie of that era. Like, it's, it's like as if you were to shoot incredible. something on like a red camera these days. Right, right, exactly. And so, but because he did that, though, we now look at Halloween the same way I think we're going to look at Repo the Genetic Opera. And I, I, I am, this is actually a proper segue to Repo. Like with the, with that aspect, they are going to a low budget uh, film. This is a low budget film of this era. 8.5 million for a film like this is a low budget. And for 
them to actually give enough trust me like listen we know what we're well, gonna do but let's not go for bigger name actors let's put the money into set design let's put the money into. but they did fact. get some pretty big name actors like they're B list, like but they're B list. Exactly, though. That's what I'm saying. Except for technically Alexa Vega, who at the time of this was known for doing the Spy Kids movies. Uh, you could also because argue she was Paul, so you could argue, young. Uh, Paul Servino was certainly uh, a respected and, actor, and but Anthony Head is a he is a B. Like by he this is point, at the top Anthony, end of the B list. By this point, though, Anthony had been off. Uh, Buffy had been finished for a fair number of years at this point. Yeah, he had never really got like the second big jump in his career. Well, no, you know he I mean? d- well didn't he go do Angel after? Was he an Angel? I, do I don't believe he, he was for a little bit. Oh well. In any case, so after the Buffy verse was over, right? Uh-huh. Um, but what I was gonna say is, frankly, <laughs> the biggest A list star of that oh, movie was Paris Hilton. <laughs> We're talking yeah. 2008 that'll... Paris Hilton. Like, like and uh, uh, I also I went down uh, the rabbit hole of this. Apparently, um, Darren Limbosman did not want Paris Hilton in the film until she turned up to the audition dressed as her version of Amber Sweet. She turned up oh, dressed what? like her character as much as she could because people think she's a recording booth too. <laughs> people think she's a dumb blonde. She's not. She's incredibly smart. Wasn't that she, big uh, reveal she did, she did like five years ago or something like that, where she was like um, she revealed to the world that she'd actually been smart this whole time? Well, she did that uh, that documentary uh, where she talked about being in those boarding schools um, yeah. and the abuse that happens there and things yeah. like that that were not something that you know during it became a thing during think- the Me Too movement, really, to be able to talk about it and to be okay yeah. with. Coming and that out was also... that way, and at that point in time, she was like, "Guys, I'm actually not an idiot. I just play one on TV. Like this is yeah. a character." What I thought was crazy was finding what? out around that time that she'd actually been running all of her own business for so long. Like Wait, reality TV is fake. very smart. No, no. What I'm saying though is she she actually <laughs> been running her own business uh, venture. She didn't have like a business manager. She'd been doing it herself. No. Like. I, I understand I, that, that like, because, because I was like, wait, like, reality TV is fake? Is it? Yeah. I don't know. People are playing characters? But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about with her actual, like, uh, all the whole It's Hot business sponsorship, all that stuff. Not the reality TV shit. I'm talking about she didn't, she, I was surprised to find out that she was actually an active hand in running her own business deals, not like a faceless manager or something like that doing it. Oh, yeah. She's an amazing businesswoman. She's had entire interviews about her business prowess. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, that was a huge reveal for me because you know I grew up in the Simple Life era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently you watched it too. Listen, my mother loves reality television, and yeah. uh, when you were young and the internet doesn't exist yet to its current degree, you basically watch what your parents have on TV. So yeah, I didn't have TV <laughs> as a kid. Oh, look at you! So yeah, I fair. watched a lot of uh, VHS tapes. That's you know, fair. VHS was a thing. When we were kids, I even had like a, a TV that had a dial and metal bunny ears on it. Oh, we had one of those, right? We had one like, of those downstairs, yeah. Because we're we're of this generation of like old school and new school technology, because yeah. it was becoming a thing. <laughs> but not we, everyone could afford it. Yeah, right. I mean, I think my favorite on that is there's this meme online. It's uh. A Facebook post where someone's like, "Oh, kids these days will never understand the uh, will never understand the rush to have to run to the bathroom and back before the commercials are over." And the first comment is, "Why didn't you just pause it?" 
Exactly. Sweet summer child. <laughs> right. And I mean, I hope that movies like like this, like Repo, the genetic opera, start to hit some of those kids. Well, too. you know, what I love is that we have now started to see, like, I, we've talked about this before on this podcast. So you get movies like this that weren't really appreciated in their time. But as time they, goes they, on, they get their appreciation. And now there's, and now over the last 10 years, I think you can actually look at Repo as being what allowed certain movies to kind of be pitched. Like, it's not a musical, but uh, it's not a musical, but PG, um, what the hell, PG, uh, Cycle Gorman. Cycle Gorman, yep. I think, is a good example of a movie that Repo kind of walked so they could run. You know what I mean? Yep. Or there was like Anna versus the Apocalypse. Anna or the look Apocalypse. at, look at like oh. some of the stuff that like A24 is putting out now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, As an independent studio, because this was definitely an independent movie. Oh, without question. And, like, uh, I I mean, there's been actually some horror-themed musicals that have come out in the last 10 years as well. I I brought up Anna and the Apocalypse, which is a... uh, Mm -hmm. um, Have you seen that one, Jay? Uh, I have, but it's been a while. It came out a few years ago. It's uh, a musical about the end of the world. Sorry about this girl in the end of the world. Uh, Like, we're seeing... I know the the next Joker movie is going to be a full on musical. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's cra- crazy. Well, to I mean, see, they though. did hire Lady Gaga. How could it not yeah. be? Yeah, right. But what I was going to say though is, it, it's crazy to see how movies like this. Like, I personally think maybe I'm over embellishing the effect, but movies like this that were really trying to be something new at this time, and there was, you know, we had this cool era where horror was suddenly cool again for a while, right? And you were able to get away from stuff like this. I don't think that the time could have been any better for this to happen because it's one of those weird situations where if the platinum dunes horror movies weren't just good enough at that time to be able to push these things if Daryl Boseman oh. didn't just get saw two and three because i mean well even nowadays trying to pitch a practical effects heavy satirical uh rock musical is still going to be a heavy order to ask for nowadays right yeah because it's not everybody's cup of tea Exactly. And, you know, you might have musical people who don't like horror. You'll have horror people who don't like musicals. You know, I like yeah. musicals and horror, so it's a little different. But Well, and I, I feel like this was probably done during an industry slowdown, like one that we have going on right now yeah. um, up here That's in Canada it. because of the unrest going on in the States. Right. Because um, this is yeah. like historically this happens where we get an industry-wide slowdown up here in Canada because of what's going on down in the States. And it's it's happened a couple of times. And I do believe, don't quote me on it, because I wasn't working in film in 2008. I didn't start working in film until 2016. But I know that, as I've spoke to other members of my personal union, that there was an industry-wide slowdown going on. Was that I, around... 2008 the, but this might have yeah, been filmed but, in like 2006 or 2007 that's what i was gonna say because 2008 was the writer's strike yeah so there was a slowdown but i mean this i don't think this was a result but, of the slowdown itself i think but this clearly was a it allowed of, uh, them to pitch it to lionsgate at that time have lionsgate buy it and then release it i think if you look at lionsgate's movies of the era i don't think it was a slowdown situation i think what it was is that daryl Lynn boseman had directed two very successful saw movies and went to lionsgate and cashed in his director's chip on repo the genetic opera to get it out there yeah exactly which and feels accurate Dur- yeah. especially during an industry slowdown because of a writer's strike <laughs> all, well, right, wait. all right all right all right <laughs> 
Um, I mean, I, I might be wrong a little bit, but no, I'm not no, no, that wrong. I, I appreciate your dedication to it, so we're going to just call it truth. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how discussions work nowadays. <laughs> Suddenly, I am right. Oh, my God. For the first time in my entire life. No, I'm kidding. But, I mean, if you look at the horror movies Lionsgate was put around, putting out around that time, Repo was not super far out of the wheelhouse of what they were kind of doing at that era. Right? No, uh, it wasn't. Once Lionsgate did Saw, they were just on it for horror movies for like five, six years. And it did and really well for them. It did. And one thing that I did love about this movie, it was the most entertaining way that I've basically just been given exposition. The oh entire my God. movie. 90% of this movie is exposition. <laughs> There's always something to look at. There's, There's always, always something, something going on at. on screen. There's always something happening. <laughs> It catches your eye. It's hard to to watch this movie and do something else at the same time. Yeah. Which a lot of us do now, where we'll watch a movie while we're doing other things. Yeah, exactly. This movie, you end up sitting down, you end up watching it, you end up standing there and just you're, staring at it because you're like, oh, pretty shiny things. Oh, piece of candy. <laughs> I... I also do love how the movie really leaned into like early two thousands, late nineties, like new metal and industrial for a lot of their music. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just those classic, like, duh, 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 duh. you know, those things you don't really get a lot in modern music. It's just, it's. I know the movie's from two thousand eight, but I just want to say, just hearing that kind of throws me right back. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. it really like the music gets you into the scene. The music in this movie is hands down amazing. I love it so much. I listen to this soundtrack for fun. <laughs> Who doesn't? Well, Kayla I mean, does a lot. <laughs> I mean, people that don't know this movie, obviously. I, people don't understand how often Kayla plays Zydrate at our home speakers. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you hear it a lot. I do. You also, <laughs> you also hear Thankless Job and Mark It Up. I hear those two quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. And I always find it funny because she'll put on like, oh, I just want to put on this quick video. It's really fun. And it'll be Thankless Job. And it's like you're pitching this as if you haven't put this on the TV. Like, like you're saying it like, oh, Kevin, I think you'll like this. And it's just a video she's put on like a hundred times. Like, <laughs> you're like, I, I know this one. I can sing it off by no, no, heart. No, I have a feeling you're going to like this video. Really? After how many times, Gail? Yeah. <laughs> but it is a fun, it is a very fun song. It's that's a very a, fun video. That's just cold exposure therapy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eventually, you'll love it as much as I do. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, did you ever see the very similar movie that came out a couple years later, Repo Men? Uh, I have I, not. Oh. But, you know, there were rumors yeah. that, like, you wouldn't have gotten uh, that without her, this, but they're not actually. One's based on a book, and this one's based on a play. Right. So they are two very different things. And they're very different movies. They have the same concept, but yeah. this is more bombastic circus, you know, like it's a rock opera. It is. Is there anything else you would like to say or plug before we head out, Jay? Uh, just watch, uh, watch Girl Gone Bad. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll check it out. I've never heard of that movie before. You know, it's, <laughs> it's this it's this little uh, independent feature that a friend of mine wow. directed, produced, uh, and very then, heavily Halloween influenced, probably. and then and then sold it off um, with some some Netflix actors during COVID. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
Oh. And, uh, this guy sounds like he has big muscles. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, your bad guy is a huge person. So, he is huge. He's also a huge teddy bear. I've also the known nicest person. I've also known Nemo since I was a teenager. Uh, so, uh, so watch it. Is, <laughs> so, anybody listening, we have Blu-rays, DVDs, and posters of Repo the Genetic Opera in our description. Uh, Kayla. And uh, remember, kids, if you're not sure if Zydrate is good for you, ask a gentleman.